0: Hi, I'm Aaron Jacoby. I'm a partner with Aaron Fox, and we've been putting together a series of podcasts regarding the brand new CARES Act. Today, we're going to focus in two parts on the healthcare elements of the CARES Act. First, with my partner, Douglas Grimm, a partner in our healthcare practice group. Douglas, thank you for being here.
1: Aaron, it's good to be here. Thanks very much.
0: So let's just jump right into it. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you, Douglas. Uh, First of all, um, the CARES Act makes a number of investments to expand telehealth services, uh, and that seems to be part of a larger push by CMS in the telehealth area. Can you discuss these changes and how they will benefit access to care here in the US for patients?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, This is very exciting stuff because while Medicare or CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has paid for telehealth over the years, it has paid in only, Aaron, only in very narrow conditions. It places restrictions on where the patient is located. That's called the originating site where the, the treatment originates. And it places restrictions on the distant site where the treating physician is located. Only in very, very narrow delineated uh, areas can the patient be located at home and only for certain diagnoses, which you would think runs kind of counter to telehealth. right? The the reason you want it is because either the patient is too sick to leave their home, um, or uh, there are just other barriers to getting to a healthcare institution But nevertheless, CMS has been very slow to broaden the aperture of of, uh, telehealth services that are paid for and where the patient is located. And telehealth under Medicare is only paid for if the patient is located in a rural area. So if you're in Midtown Manhattan or downtown Los Angeles, Medicare will not pay no matter what the diagnosis is, no matter the age of the Medicare patient. You have to be out in a rural area. That's the bad news. The good news is that a telehealth visit is paid for at the same rate as an in person visit, provided that uh, the visit is real time audio visual. So, no telephone calls. You have to be uh, on video. Um, if you're located at home, uh, FaceTime and Skype are okay, but otherwise, Uh, you need need TV, no calls. Now, what's interesting is that there's been kind of, and Oliver and I were talking about this earlier today, there's been a kind of a two-step expansion in telehealth. So on March 17th, CMS, the administrative agency that pays and and administers the Medicare program, stepped forward a new set of rules. And it said, we're now going to pay for telehealth, not only in a rural area, but also in an urban area. And we're going to pay if the patient is at home for all telehealth diagnoses, which has now been broadened to include what we call E&M visits or evaluation and management, or what a normal person would call an office visit. Before Medicare would not pay for that. Well, now they're paying for office visits. So if you're an elderly patient in Midtown Manhattan and you're a Medicare beneficiary, you know, now you are eligible uh, to uh, receive telehealth and have uh, Medicare pay for it. Also, uh, in addition to office visits, there uh, they will also uh, expand the list of diagnoses to include mental health counseling and preventive health screenings. So that was huge. You know, we in the healthcare law community really sat up and said, "Okay, this is really a good step forward." So now, folks in the cities don't have to leave their homes. Well. With the passage of the new law, there has been uh, a greater uh, emphasis on access to patients. Now, the distant site provider can be located in additional locations. So, as I said earlier, the patient can be located at home. Well, remember, the provider needs to be located in certain locations as well. And if the provider is not located in one of those locations, then Medicare will not pay for the visit. Well, now they have added rural health clinics and federally qualified health clinics to federally qualified health centers rather uh, to the list. So again, you're seeing a a, a loosening of the rules by CMS. Significant funding has been allocated, 180 million for rural telehealth services, 14.4 billion for veterans Affairs telehealth services. So that's a good thing, and and I'll close uh, with this point, which is, again, uh, very significant. The new law has authorized the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, to reduce the audio-visual requirement for telehealth services to audio only. So no longer uh, do you have to have FaceTime or Skype. If you have a telephone call, that's okay. But the secretary has to authorize that, and the secretary has yet to do so. So we are keeping a close eye on that every day to uh, see if Secretary Azar makes that move.
0: That's all very interesting, and and quite a lot of uh, improved access for for telehealth. You know, it seems that, notwithstanding the the crush of patients entering hospitals, that hospitals are still struggling with regard to lost revenue for all the elective and non-essential surgeries and other medical care that's that's not going on because of making room for the coronavirus. Is there anything the bill is doing to accelerate Medicare or other sorts of payments to providers to ensure they can have funding they need
1: to continue operating? That's a great question, and I know Oliver's going to touch on that later on because he and I were speaking about that again earlier this afternoon. But but CMS has always maintained an advanced payment program for national emergencies or disasters. So it's always been in place. It just hasn't been activated. So let me step back and just give our listeners just 30 seconds on Medicare payment. CMS pays for the treatment of Medicare patients on a prospective basis after treatment. So that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but really what that means is Medicare pays a predetermined amount based on the diagnosis and treatment of the patient after the patient has been discharged, usually 18 to 30 days post discharge, the hospital will get a check. But if you come in with, say, pneumonia, The hospital is going to know within a reasonable dollar amount how much they're going to get for that treatment. So they are encouraged to keep their costs low and uh, practice efficient and effective medicine. But then they have to wait about a month after that patient is discharged before they get paid. Under the new bill, providers and suppliers can now request payment up front before they've taken care of patients. Most providers and suppliers can request 100% of Medicare receipts for a three-month period going forward. Inpatient acute care hospitals, so probably what you would think of as a you know a general acute care hospital, children's hospitals, and certain cancer hospitals can request Medicare payments for a six-month period. So that's huge, and following the request. CMS is to review and make payment within seven days. Now CMS itself in Washington DC or in Baltimore actually won't be making the payments. Medicare administrative contractors. you know private, uh, private contractors will be processing the, those applications but but nevertheless, uh, payment up front should ease the financial burden for these hospitals. Um, so uh, there is a settlement period. You know nothing is free in this world. These these payments are designed to ease payment burden, but there will be a reconciliation uh, between seven and twelve months uh, following the end of the declaration of the emergency. So help is on the way. The providers and suppliers just simply need to to ask for. It.
0: And help is on the way, but without a huge squandering of funds, given the reconciliation procedure you just you just mentioned. For further information about the healthcare issues within the CARES Act that we've been discussing, please go to healthcarecouncilblog.com or to errantfox.com, and you'll see COVID-19 related alerts. Thank you very much for joining us today.